Please join with me in prayer. Lord, I do ask, um, I plead with you, may the meditations of, um, or rather the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our Savior, we ask through Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever noticed that when something's on your mind, it seems as if um, everything relates to what you're thinking? I remember when Mandy was uh, pregnant with our first child, and everywhere I went, it seemed like every other woman in the world was pregnant. You know, and I'd never noticed this before. Or when I have uh, had a really good week or a really good Monday of sermon study, everything during the week seems to relate back to the sermon. It can be a very powerful experience when life starts happening or appearing to happen according to the things that you've been thinking about. And this dynamic seems to be, to be at play in our text Uh, There appears to have been a controversy raging between the religious leaders over the identity of Jesus Christ and also of John the Baptist. Uh, John uh, lived such a strict, such an austere lifestyle, living out in the wilderness, dressed only in camel hair garments, only eating locust and honey, and then his message was so severe. Remember what he said way back in Luke chapter 3? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And so, John's appearance, his message... The Pharisees reasoned this man could not possibly have been sent from God. He could not possibly be representing God. Only a demon-possessed man would act and speak this way. But then there was Jesus. Jesus seemed to be a normal guy. But in the view of the Pharisees, he was probably a bit too normal. He was not as religious as they felt he should be. He went to dinner parties with tax collectors. He spoke to people who were known to be sinners. He did not separate himself from such people. He considered such people his friends. Again, look at verse 34. Jesus, in addressing this controversy, he says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Certainly our Lord Jesus was a friend for tax collectors, a friend for sinners. He's a friend for sinners like us. But that's not the way the Pharisees intended for their words to be taken. He considered these people, tax collectors, sinners, his friends, and that was scandalous. I strongly suspect that Simon the Pharisee is aware of this controversy that was swirling around Jesus when he invited Jesus to eat in his home. And I have two reasons for this this suspicion. 
First, verse 39 seems to suggest that Simon was aware of the controversy. So, verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee, talking about Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He seems to be... um, touching on the controversy that Jesus mentioned back in, um, in verses 33 and 34. And then second, Simon invited Jesus to eat in his home, but he did not welcome Jesus as one would be expected to be welcomed if, we're, if Jesus were his friend. Uh, in fact, Jesus calls him to account in verses 44 through 46, Jesus said, well, then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. And so, uh, Simon invites him to his home, but does not appear to welcome him as was customary. So when this, this woman with a notorious reputation entered into Simon's home and started weeping uncontrollably and started wiping her tears off of Jesus' feet with her own hair, it confirmed all of Simon's preconceived thoughts. This spectacle of the woman is so unusual that it might help if I spend a few moments trying to explain how things were unfolding in Simon's home. First of all, in Jewish culture of this time, uh, this This type of dinner, inviting Jesus, the the visiting rabbi, into your home would would have been a semi-public affair or occasion. Um, It would have been more like a block party than a dinner party. So it, it would not have been too unusual for someone to wander in uninvited. People were free to drop in and and listen to Jesus while he reclined at the table. Now, that being said, Simon was certainly surprised when this woman walked in. In fact, Luke gives us a clue to Simon's surprise by introducing um, her entrance in verse 37 with the exclamation, Behold! Look at verse 37. And behold! A woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment. This woman was apparently known around town uh, for her sinful behavior. Uh, It's likely she was a prostitute. To understand how things unfolded, it would be helpful to know also how people typically reclined at the table in Jewish culture of that time. Uh, they followed the Roman customs of reclining on, on uh, 
floor cushions. So they would actually be laying down um, on their side. They would lay down on their left side, freeing their right hand to take food from the table and eat. And their legs then would be stretched out behind them, away from the table. So when the woman approached Jesus, she would have naturally approached his feet first. And it would appear that it was her intention to anoint Jesus' head with oil. And that was a common expression of hospitality, a common expression of goodwill in the hot and dusty environment of Judah. You would just put a little oil on the head and it would help you smell a little bit better. Uh, With all the dust in your hair, it would apparently, I, I can't understand how this would be a pleasant experience, um, but apparently it was, and it was a sign of hospitality. And so that's what it would appear she intended to do. But before she could move forward to anoint his head, she was overcome with, an, with emotion, and she began to weep profusely. And so as she's weeping, she's standing over Jesus' feet. His, her, her tears are, um, are hitting his feet. Uh, and, you know, she had broken all customary protocols by having a reputation as a prostitute. But then what she did next exploded all the protocols that might have been left. Uh, she unbound her hair to wipe dry Jesus' feet. For a woman to be in public without her head covering was considered a humiliation because covering your head was a sign of modesty and chastity. And so she starts unbinding her hair to dry Uh, her tears from Jesus' feet. And undoubtedly, Simon saw this as a sensual act by this woman. The woman began kissing Jesus' feet. And then she began anointing his feet with the ointment that she had intended for his head. Simon expected that Jesus should have recoiled from her, that he should have denounced her, um, rather than accept her. But Jesus did not recoil. He did not denounce her. He accepted her rather unusual form of gratitude and therefore accepted her. For Jesus to accept her, this woman with her reputation, for Jesus to accept her actions, embodied every one of Simon's Uh, preconceived notions. What he was thinking was happening right in front of him. So Simon's thinking to himself, this Jesus really is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Look again at verse 39, because Luke lets us in on the secret thoughts of... um, Simon the Pharisee, and uh, of course Simon's secret thoughts were no secret to Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. Verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, 
He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for he is a sinner. And as I said, of course our Lord Jesus knew exactly what Simon was thinking. So Jesus answered Simon's secret thoughts. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. You know, every time I read this this week, I thought, boy, oh boy. <laughs> Simon, Simon, you're about to hear something that uh, might be disturbing to you. And Simon says, uh, pun not intended, say it, teacher. And so Jesus told Simon a story or a parable. And he did this to expose for Simon what was really going on with this woman. And Jesus had two secondary missions with telling this parable. Uh, this parable was also going to expose Simon's self-righteousness and magnify God's grace to sinners. So let's look at the parable, verses 41 and 42. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, now which of them will love him more? So basically, what's happening in this parable? There were two people who were indebted to the moneylender. The first was very in debt, about two years worth of wages in debt. The other, a lesser amount, significantly lesser. He was about two months wages in debt. One two years, one two months. But neither was able to pay. It was impossible for either one of these uh, two debtors to pay their debt. And the money lender graciously forgave the debts of both of these debtors. And so Jesus poses this question to Simon, who will love the money lender more? And by the time that Jesus applies the parable to Simon's life in verses 44 through 47, it is clear that Jesus is doing much more than telling a simple little story for Simon's entertainment and interest. First, Jesus is telling Simon that we are all debtors before God. He's telling Simon, Simon, you're a debtor. The woman is a debtor too. She might be the one with two years of debt, but you've got two months of debt. Uh, if you were to draw a line between financially stable in the black and unfinancially or financially unstable in the red, both you and this woman are in the red. Both of you are on the wrong side of the line. Your debt, um, you both are debtors before God. And so again, if we were to draw a line, what Jesus is saying, and on one side we're non-sinners, 
And on the other side, sinners, I mean no disrespect to this group. I do not mean to suggest that you are not sinners over here on this side either. But if you had the two lines, we all would be on the sinner side. Two months worth of debt, two years worth of debt, we're all sinners. We're all indebted to God. And so that's what Jesus is saying first. Second, Jesus is saying that none of us can pay our debts. Both of these people, completely unable to pay their debts. And therefore, we all stand liable to suffer the penalty of our indebtedness. Just like the debtors in this parable, we can never, ever work enough to pay off our debts. How does it go in uh, Rock of Ages? Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.16 says the same thing. He says, now we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order that to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, none of you, not me, no one, will be justified. Before God, because we are sinners, we are helpless, we are hopeless. But God has graciously canceled our debts. He was not obligated. He has forgiven all of our sins in Jesus Christ. Christ stood on the cross. Christ stood in our place. Christ paid our debts in full. He became sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. Again, Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is a free gift. Not something you can earn, but a free gift of God's grace to all who embrace Jesus Christ. Only to those who embrace Jesus Christ. Have you embraced Jesus Christ? Have you? If you have, all your sins are forgiven. All your spiritual debts are canceled. No more alienation from God. Eternal life, fellowship with God, peace with God is your present and eternal possession. And this is all simply a gift of God's sovereign, 
grace and mercy. So Jesus concludes the parable by asking, which of the two debtors will love the the gracious moneylender more? And the answer is obviously the one who has more debts. It does not mean that Simon was more righteous or more deserving or closer to heaven than this woman. Both Simon and this woman deserved hell because they were on the debtor side of the line. But this is Jesus' way of saying that the woman had a greater awareness of her sin. And it appears that Simon gets the point. Listen to his rather lame response to Jesus' question in verse 43. I'll start at the end of verse 42 to give us a little run and start. Jesus said, Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. You know, clearly Simon realizes he's being exposed. You know, well, the, the one, I suppose, who has a larger debt. Simon doesn't want to admit it, it would, it would seem, but he gets it. You know, it's not a bad thing to be exposed by Jesus. A lot of people run from being exposed by Jesus. You know, conviction of sin, oh, I don't want to, that's, that's painful. Being exposed by Jesus is a good thing, but you must embrace what he exposes about yourself. He tells you you're a sinner, embrace it. He tells you you are dead in your trespasses and sins and without God, alienated from him, embrace it. Because when you embrace Jesus' exposure of you, you are also opening your arms to embrace him. As I was telling the children this morning, in the latter days, God has spoken to us by his son. Embrace his word. Embrace his gospel. In so doing, you are embracing him. Simon, to this point, has refused to embrace Jesus' Jesus' exposure of Simon. So Jesus then pointed to the woman and then he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Simon had made a judgment about this woman, but he had not really seen her. He had not yet perceived why she was making a spectacle of, of herself in his home. And I think we should spend just a couple of moments making sure that we have seen her because she serves as a picture of one who has received Jesus and has had all her debts canceled. Verses 44 through 47. Jesus, then turning to the woman, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. 
Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. It's clear that this is not Jesus' first encounter with this woman. I think we're safe in assuming that she had heard Jesus preach uh, probably earlier in the day in that town or the previous day. And she received his salvation. And so her desire was to anoint Jesus' head and her outburst of weeping was simply, it may, may have been twofold. Her sorrow for the sinful lifestyle she had lived and all the regrets that she had up to this time. And then secondly, and certainly this is the case, tears of gratitude and love for the Lord Jesus. She understood that she had been forgiven much, therefore she loved much. This woman had been in society's gutter. She was rejected by her culture likely rejected by her family? Can you imagine her joy when Jesus turned to her and said in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 50, he followed up by saying, your faith has saved you. Not her faith in her faith, but her faith in Christ. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You have peace With God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, is what he's telling her. Every one of you who struggles to believe that God has forgiven you, put yourself in this woman's place and listen as Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Think about how wonderful it will be to hear Jesus say it on the day of judgment. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. For all eternity, live in my presence. I'd like to make two applications and then we'll be finished. First... To the Simons among us, Simon saw himself as needing little forgiveness because he saw his sins as being small. He recognized that God had canceled his debt, but he thought that God had done so because he had made himself worthy by his good works. As a Pharisee, he thought that he was living according to high moral standards But Jesus, through this parable, was pointing out to Simon that in fact he was graceless, he was merciless, and he was loveless. Listening to Jesus speak to the Pharisees throughout the New Testament, I get the feeling there is nothing so ugly in God's eyes than self-righteous people. Simon for all his high-sounding morality, was ugly in his heart. And he refused to see it. You know, there's a lot of self-righteousness that exists within the church of the Lord Jesus. 
and it's always ugly. Let Simon be a barometer for us as we measure our love for Christ. Secondly, and finally, take a close look at this woman in this passage. Look at her tears of gratitude and her love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Examine how she poured out herself in worship and care for Him. And then put yourself in her place and examine your own response to the Lord Jesus. You know, it's a a pretty common thing. I experience it in my own life. I've heard from you as well many times over the years that... um, You know, we dress up in our Sunday best week after week and we slowly begin to believe that we become somewhat worthy. And our love for the Lord Jesus can wane because familiarity breeds contempt. And we can easily forget that we have been forgiven much. Healthy Christian growth is growth downward. As we grow in Christ, we should begin to see more of our sin, more of our sin that needs to be exposed and rooted out of our life by the grace of the Lord Jesus. God is always doing His pruning work in us. John chapter 15, pruning off the dead in order that there would be new growth. And it's painful to be pruned. But healthy Christian growth looks at oneself honestly and acknowledge that sin does indeed remain, that sin does need to be pruned, that sin is, remains an ongoing issue in our life. Healthy Christian growth is a life of ongoing repentance, is a life of ongoing trust, a life of ongoing dependence upon Christ. Charles Spurgeon put it like this, and he is speaking as a mature, older, very godly Christian. He said, I have to fight from day to day with inbred corruption, coldness, deadness, barrenness. And if it were not for my Lord Jesus Christ, my heart would be as dry as the heart of the damned. The irony is, That sort of attitude of humility and determination in battle for the joy that we desire in Christ is the pathway to joy and ongoing personal renewal in Him. It's the the path to, to ongoing Christian growth. My last sentence will be this. Maybe last couple of sentences. I'm a preacher. You know, disregard what I say when it comes to time. Think of Simon and the woman as being at opposite ends of a continuum. And then think of yourself. Where is your love for Christ along this range? As we pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray More love to Thee, more love to Thee. Lord, continually break our hearts in repentance in order that we might grow in Christ and grow in our depth of joy in Him. 
Lord, I pray for the Simons among us. Bring repentance. Lord, I pray for the, the, the ones among us who are on that continuum heading towards Simon. Lord, break our hearts. Lord, give us a love like this woman uh, who was forgiven much, therefore she loved much. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.